we just decided which mountain top we want to be standing on. That's the voice of Kun de Witte, Managing Director of Remind NV, headquartered in Leuven, Belgium. Listen in now to hear Kun's thoughts about leadership and how Remind is advancing treatments for Alzheimer's, diabetes, and other diseases caused by cellular dysfunction. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. Today I'm speaking with Kun de Witte, Managing Director of Remind, headquartered in Leuven, Belgium. Welcome to BioBoss, Kun. Thank you. What led you to your role as Managing Director at Remind? Oh, there's been a bit of a long path traveling there. I think if I look back also for you to know, I'm actually by training a mechanical engineer. So it's already not a very obvious jump from there all the way to running a biotech company. And then, I mean, definitely as a kid, I always wanted to create things. And I always was sure I wanted to do something that I would create my own thing, whatever that might mean. I also realized fairly early on that often I might come into the same solutions, but often thinking a bit differently. And therefore, I think it's better just to do it a bit my own way. And that's what I wanted to do. And if you'd ask me as a kid, it probably would have been really a mechanical thing. It would be a, a car, it would be something around that. Uh, that's also why I started mechanical engineering uh, and did lots of, uh, of different things. In the end up, I went also into consultancy, did a lot in healthcare after having worked in uh, medical devices where I leveraged my mechanical engineering background. But at a certain point in time, I, I wanted to do something where rather than just advising from the sideline, really do something, really build something. And that's when I started looking around, um, given I was already a bit more advanced also in my career, I want to have something where there's at least already a bit of kernel of, of, of things that I could build from. And that's where I started looking around at lots of different opportunities in, in Europe. And I ended up uh, at Remind, which back in 2007, were still primarily very close to an academic lab, providing services. They were kind of first signs of some own products. Uh, and, and some great people around. And that's basically what uh, convinced me to make the jump. What was that process like for you to decide, I want to go out and build something? Honestly, I, I really wanted to do something and create something. And I did a very, very many different things to, to do that. And so it was never my idea to really kind of found a biopharma thing. But it's more, I think, what I did in consultancy. I worked at uh, McKinsey. There I, I did do a lot of stuff, a very lot of nice stuff. Everything I did, the red threat was always innovation. And at the point in time, I said, like, look, now I want to do something where I can really build something. But I didn't think it was the best idea for me to kind of really kind of somewhere sit in a room, think from scratch of something, but rather say, like, is there something where I can already have something, like a little basis I can start from and then take that further? When you first came on board at Remind with these hopes of creating something and you had a picture of what it might be like, how did that picture map? match up with the reality of the work that you would be doing over the next number of years compared to what you thought it might be? Honestly, the picture is a lot bigger and a lot more exciting than I thought it would be back then. But at the same time, it's a lot later. Honestly, if you would have told me I joined basically in 2008, if you would have told me like, look, it's going to take you 13 years to get where you're now. And actually, we're just now into the clinic. I probably, yeah, I'm definitely, I would not have done it. I would definitely not have done it. Um, so it took a lot longer, but honestly, where we stand now is so much larger than I ever could have imagined. Even though, of course, I mean, you are thinking of these things and you're dreaming of, of these things. And, and to be fair, I think we'll still stand absolutely nowhere. But at least we're now at the point that I could see that 
guys, I mean, this could be real, and in a couple of years' time, we really could have proven something. And let's hope it materializes. I mean, once you're in the clinic, anyway, I mean, the path forward is a lot more cleaner than if you're still in discovery um, and, and so on. And so, yeah, I think the potential for it could be so much bigger than I could ever have imagined. At any point between joining the company and, and becoming its leader and getting to the point where you're in the clinic now, did you ever think, yeah, this is it's just too long. I don't have the patience for this. I mean, the way we always looked at it, right, the image we always had, look, I mean, we just decided which mountain, which mountain top we want to be standing on. And we said, like, that's the top we want to be standing on. Um, and, and then there are just many different ways to get there. And it, it always, we went always up. I cannot say that. I think, oh, cool, look, I mean, there's a year we went up and then we were sliding down and we need to go back up again. I mean, then that I think would have been tough, right? Uh, if you kind of need to start up again. But, you yeah, know, it was never like a Sisyphus uh, type of ordeal. I think we always went up and we always got closer. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's always every little step was a little victory, I think, that we passed. And that, I think, made it exciting and fun. Okay, it, it all took a lot longer but I can tell you, I think every week, I think we went a bit closer. Sometimes, frankly, it's also good, right, not to know everything and not to know what's, what's, what's coming at you. Because, frankly, if, if I would also realize everything that would be coming at me, I also, I think, don't think I would have seen this. And, and, and sometimes it's maybe good to almost, I wouldn't call it naive, but just, yeah, just, just go for it. And so where I definitely I think the mountain that we always kind of set for us and where I think we might be setting ourselves a little bit apart is that I think the way we define aspirations we would not define this as IRR in financial terms we would really define this what we kind of call it as global qualities right I think what's the global impact we could have and that almost falls out into two elements right it's how many people could we touch and how big an impact are we going to have per person that we touch and then if you look at that yeah, I don't think there's a lot better you can go after than I think what we do and our aim in the end is really curing Alzheimer's. And I'm not going to say that our next treatment is going to cure Alzheimer's, uh, but at least I think we're on the way and we're going to hopefully learn enough from it. Right? To be fair, it could also be dead next week if, all thing, if something goes wrong, but that we at least learn from it. And so in that one, I think the Alzheimer's, it's a very large thing and so you touch upon a lot of people. and then Honestly, if you kind of see the aspirations we set us was not, oh, let's try to slow things down a bit. I think our aspiration was always as a start base, let's stop it, right? Let's make sure it doesn't progress. Actually, if you look at the preclinical data in the mouse, we found actually recurring uh, Alzheimer's. And, and I want to be very careful with that word um, curing because it, it has a bit this notion, you take this one magical pill and it's all over. And that's not going to be the case. But um, we, we honestly do believe that Alzheimer's is curable. And I should at least explain it a little bit before I think you think it's completely irrealistic and maybe I'm like a Don Quixote uh, trying to, to go after windmills. No, honestly, I do think it is. And one, while, while it might be strange, frankly, if you look at it, all the others, I think, who have been looking, who have been spending billions on, on things. Actually, if you look at the data, at best, they slow down by about 30%, right? And, and I think it's, it's meaningful, 30%, but that is not the aspiration we're after. And why, why do we think we can do it still, I think, with 50 people, make a, a difference and, and try to cure, um, while others have been able to barely 
um, slow things down is that, as is often the case, right, I think we have, there's one problem, but you often have very different ways of looking at the same problem. And often if you look at the problem from a different angle, probably a solution might be a lot easier. And so in, in the case of Alzheimer's, if, if you, you look at it and, um, yeah, I think you also have, have, have people uh, close to you, what you definitely must have noticed is actually they have no issue with retrieving memory. They don't have an issue with retrieving what they did 10 years ago. So it is not in a way, literally, actually it's not, and even though I would sometimes call it the memory loss disease, it's not a memory loss disease. It's a disease of memory formation. People can no longer form new memory. It's not about preventing the loss of memory uh, from the past. It's can you form again memory today, right? I mean, where did you put the, the keys of your car? Did you already get your breakfast? Did you get your pill? How can you get these things, get that into memory? So it's very much a memory formation uh, disease. And so, of course, I think we will never, I think if, if some memories of 10 years ago are gone, we will never be able to retrieve them. And honestly, I don't think it would be good anyway. I think, I don't think we would have a very hard time surviving if you would remember everything 100%. Um, but it's, it's good. I mean, there's a reason why, why, why we forget. I mean, there, there is a reason why memory is being cleared. Um, and, and so that is, is not the issue. The issue is how you can form it. If you have a neuron that is still there, but is too much compromised that it can no longer form synapses because that's the way they form memory, that's a neuron we probably can save again. Um, and that's exactly what we see in mice. So that's what we in, see in mice, that this, the whole capacity, which is basically gone uh, as of, for instance, in mice, as of the age of about four months, if you then test mice at eight months, which are kind of very advanced in it, we basically see that we can recover about 80% of this synapse forming uh, potential. And in doing so, yeah, I think it's not that we need to recover the whole brain. I mean, if you just do part of it and have enough neurons that we can get functional again, then we can allow people again to form memory. And so it's a very different way of just looking at the same problem. So we're very much focused on yeah, synaptic plasticity and restoring synaptic plasticity. When you were in that moment of thinking about uh, leading a, a biopharma company and, and making this transition. How did you decide that this was the area that you wanted to focus on, this particular company, this particular science, among the many that I'm sure you investigated? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. And to be fair, it was never my decision when I decided I wanted to, to get into the field to say, like, hey, I'm going to go for Alzheimer's and I'm going to solve that issue. Um, what I did, I just very extensively looked at lots of I mean, different uh, biotech companies. I started talking to different people, and that's basically, I think, the way it went. I just kind of from talking to one person, because it, for me, it was a very different world within McKinsey. That's not the world I know. And then very quickly, I talked here to people like uh, the Rudy de Kaiser was one of the, the persons who founded VIB, Francis did for biotech. And then every time, yeah, it, it's, it's basically, it's a bit kind of like a spreading uh, thing. I talk to two, three people and they tell them, give, each of them give me another two, three people to talk to. And in that way, I've just spoken to, to a lot of um, people. Um, and then, yeah, in the end, there were different ones. Honestly, McKinsey also had been helpful, actually, because honestly, I never worked in Alzheimer's with McKinsey, but then there were some experts. And when I told them, look, I'll be leaving, but I um, would like to have a chat with you 
on, 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 for instance, Alzheimer's, can we have a chat? I mean, people are always available. It was quite impressive because they were all so busy. And then I, I could almost do it a bit as a mini project for myself and then figure out, I think, where to go. And in, in that way, what were the, the, the kind of maybe the three things that I think, well, well, in the end, decided for Remind is one, of course, I mean, this whole idea about Alzheimer's, and then it was only Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and actually it was more Parkinson's than Alzheimer's. Uh, back then, I mean, that uh, definitely is, is something there. Then a couple of people that I really got along with very well and that I felt that I think it, it just worked out great, like with our CSO, Gerard Griffion, I think very similar things in, in the way we think about uh, the things and so on. And so that's definitely the second thing. The, the third thing, which I think was, was quite equally important, having been in the whole, of course, within McKinsey or within the financing front, I also realized that I think what we wanted to do there, anyway, it's going to take a long time to get there. And that is not the type of story that really fits very well in a typical VC approach. And also the way we're going to finance the company, we kind of completely needed to reinvent that in, in our way. And so, when I was at, um, at Riemann, one of the earliest things I've been able to do is like negotiate a nice licensing deal on one of the animal models. Um, and it was just on an animal model for, for one company. I think we got a, a very nice uh, deal out of that one. And that allowed us at least to kind of jumpstart a lot of the, the things. And then together with, with some grants. And then basically from there, basically jump from one to the other in all non-dilutive funding. because. The VC world, I mean, definitely has its benefits, but it was not the best fit for what we wanted to accomplish, right? It was a, a high risk, first of all, in Alzheimer's. We were extremely early. Honestly, it was all science was fully developed in-house. I mean, the the IP that came at the start of Remind was IP on, on the mouse models, but it was for the, the fee-for-service business, was not for the own pipeline. And so there were many things that you said, like, look, anyway, I think there is just no fit with what we want and how to fund ourselves and the VC world. And that's why these, and so basically these, these three elements made me jump to, uh, to Remind. What have you learned about your management style over the years? What works best for you? What makes you, you? Really in-depth problem solving. And so I try to combine it with kind of giving people freedom and creating an atmosphere, but on the issues that I do think is key, I really, really go in depth and I really go very deep uh, on, on, on these things. And so that's a bit what I try to be in, in my management style, I hope, is kind of provide people opportunity, be very supportive, help them to develop, but also yeah, really intervene and really kind of try to pull things together and, and, and often sometimes really collecting the data myself and then saying like, look, I think should we do this or that? And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's these, these two things, right? Where, but this general scene setting, but then on certain topics really go into depth. How do you know when you're gonna f dig in deep and how do you know when you're gonna back off and let that be a, a something someone on your team is handling? Is that intuition? Is that a clear signal? How do you know? I always prioritize, right? is it an important thing? Is it an important thing? Is it something that's really going to bring us a step closer to our goal or not? And how important is this? Um, I mean, that's always my first thing. I only yeah, have so many hours I can spend, so I really need to devote where it is. And, and that's, I think, what I think intuitively quite good in, in figuring out, I think, what's important. And on the things that are important, where I honestly do believe that, well, it's probably two things, things that are important and things where I would say like, if you would just do your first reflex, it's probably wrong. 
right? That you kind of say, like, look, this is important and it's not going to be the obvious solution. Let's think a bit about that. Kun, what's new at Remind? What's new, new at, at Remind is at the clinical stage, right? I mean, we found in 2001, we went into phase one at the end of 2020, and then we're on track to, to get things as, assessed in 2022. How did it feel when you crossed over that threshold and you realized we're in the clinic? After all this work, we're in the clinic. You do the studies in dogs and rats and you see it's all safe and you wait for all the data to come in and every time you get new data you get a bit more excited and then you put all the file together and then you submit the file and then you get the questions back and you say like look I mean there are basically no questions so this looks all very good and then you and they're all small steps. I think the one that's definitely going to be, of course, a big step, right? Um, and and that that's going to be a big bang and that's going to be really from one moment to the other is the moment that we got the first date on the phase two. And that's going to be normally next year, hopefully middle of next year. And that is indeed the one thing where you could say like, yeah, wow, that's a big bang. Right? That's indeed going to be kind of a, a moment I'm really looking forward to. But I'm also wondering how that's actually going to play out, right? Because there's going to be a moment that, you know, that look, this is the moment you're going to open the envelope and then you're going to know it. Yeah. But that's because everything else, honestly, have been just always steps from one to the other. How would you describe the mechanism of action? We always start from certain proteins that through genetic defects start misfolding and then cause cell dysfunction and cell loss. And this is kind of tau in, in the case of uh, Alzheimer's, Huntington in the case of Huntington, IAPP in the case of diabetes. And so basically what we do is we kind of make cells sick, put in small molecules, and then we can see whether they rescue uh, basically survival. And if we do that, then we know we have something that modifies the disease. But then honestly, we don't know how it does, how the compound does that. And then we have a second part of our platform that to figure out what's the target and, the, and then the mechanism. And so it is indeed very common in a platform that we have. And so what is need specific, it's all about protein misfolding through genetic defects and that cause cellular dysfunction. So that's the link between all of them, but that's it. So the way the Alzheimer's program work, actually it's not that. Uh, hard to to explain. Actually, maybe contrary to what people ex might expect is, in the case of Alzheimer's, actually cells are overactivated. Neurons are overactivated, and probably where you might understand it is, I mean, you have more plaques, more tangles, I mean, these are all more things, because certain neurons start failing, others take it over, they get overactivated, and everything actually is getting these neurons start working too hard and they're getting working so hard that they're no longer functional, no longer can actually really make synapses. And in all these things, there's one element that's very pivotal and that's calcium. And that's not new. That was new in the 80s that you have elevated calcium levels. And if you look at it, all these risk factors that we know like E-beta, uh, tau, traumatic brain injury, actually the number one risk factor in Alzheimer's is aging. Um, and so all these risk factors, all of them lead to elevated calcium levels. And that's already known uh, quite a, lot, a long time now. Calcium is such a pivotal process that if you intervene with that, you're very quickly going to get toxicity. I mean, either you, you're going to get into it, you're going to lower it, you see effect, you get it too low and you see tox. Um, that is something we did not design to go for calcium homeostasis, it's just that it came out um, of the screen and it is 
uh, kind of an indirect modulator of a calcium channel, of an ori channel, and in that way it only intervenes if it's overactivated. And once the neuron is back to normal, the target kind of disappears and isn't there anymore. It's a proprietary target that we do not disclose, but so that's basically the mechanism, the mechanism that we bring calcium back to normal levels. And if you bring calcium back to normal levels, given that's such a central process that actually is, is downstream from all these risk factors, it automatically also improves everything at the same time. Like with the economy, I mean, often you have an economy going well and you have increase in productivity and then people feel confident and because they're confident they buy more and they grow and so on and everything goes together up and then you have something that goes down, right, a big event and then suddenly the confidence drops, people buy less, less produced and everything goes down. And to me that's the very same thing that happens here, right, I mean, everything's interacting with everything and so if you then act quite centrally and bring things back to normal, everything's good. And so we see indeed there's no longer, okay, we rescue 80% of the, the capacity to form cognition, we have no longer buildup of plaques, we reduce tau, we reduce inflammation, and so basically everything goes in, in the right direction. So the objective when we started 15 years ago was really disease modification. I think that's the end, let's try to slow down or let's even stop further disease progression. That was the, the hope. What we have realized actually that we do a lot better, it's not only that we kind of stop disease progression, but we actually also have fast symptomatic relief. And so we basically have the two. It is end disease modifying and uh, relieving the symptoms. But what we see in mind is that if you treat after one day we already see that their capacity to form synapses improves significantly. Um, and if you do it after one week, we always see we restore about 80%. And that is what we call immediate. So it's not that we need to wait a long, long time for that. Now, the question is, of course, going to be if we have this whole function going back up on, on synaptic plasticity, how long is it going to take before you're going to have an impact on cognition? And that might take a bit longer uh, because it might take some time to, to, to really get there. And so we do not know yet how fast that is, but given it's a very fast process, I think we also have done now the clinical proof of concept has that fully designed, and we're gonna look at certain biomarkers. And you can look at biomarkers that reflect quite well the synaptic plasticity, synaptic functioning, or phosphotol, uh, and so on. And that's gonna be the key one. Where we're now is so much more exciting than I ever could have imagined. What's happening in diabetes? How are we not managing glucose well? Uh, basically, yeah, because a lot for yeah, diet-induced um, elements. And so what happens there also, the pancreas, actually the, the human body is really fantastic, right? You have all these beta cells that produce insulin, they put too much stress on it, certain cells starts failing, that's why other cells take over but because you get more stress on them, they start failing later. And actually it's once that 70, 80% has failed, it's only then that you're gonna have an impact on glucose and you're gonna see it. Um, and also there it's about cells being overactivated and the too much oxi uh, oxidative stress species uh, in there. What we do is we prevent the formation of oxidative stress and in that way we allow the, the beta cells basically are kind of to breathe again and to kind of be productive again. And it's not that there are more beta cells coming, but the beta cells that are there become more functional. And so there to our big surprise, uh, what we were hoping indeed is just a treatment that would kind of delay the disease and it's like you, you know what you 
bring it now and if you treat for four weeks and at least after four weeks if you would stop then it would go up the way it would have gone up today uh, to our surprise when we took away the, the treatment actually things remained stable we were really puzzled by that how is it possible that it stays stable because the compound is gone after four hours and so on and it's only then when we did another study and then uh, took the mice sacrificed the mice and then took out the the pancreas we saw versus studies start, imagine then they have like an insulin producing capacity of 100. If you don't treat them, they go down to 50. We were hoping we would keep them at 100. What we saw to the surprise, actually we were up to 200. And so there it's not that we just stop the disease. In a way, we almost turn back the disease. We kind of make them functional again, which is weird, right? I mean, if I would just tell you that, I mean, that's not possible. But if you then think like, hey, yeah, I mean, there are lots of beta cells in there where they do something, but not as well. If you take away the stress, they kind of can produce again. Yeah, of course, it's possible that you, uh, again, make it better. And that, that's actually what we've seen. And that's why we see like it's this combination between disease modifying plus fast symptomatic relief. If you want to do the thing we want to do it, yeah, we need to figure our way to find out the target. We needed to find our way of financing the company because with VCs it would not have worked. We also need to find our logic. And our logic is, for instance, on, on this thing is the, the, I'm not sure whether you're familiar with that. On the statistics, you have this frequentist approach and the Bayesian logic. Um, and so a lot of the things that we do is actually based on Bayesian logic. And then of course, everything we communicate outside, I mean, we don't communicate Bayesian logic outside, but it's always just on the frequentist approach and the standard t-test uh, and these type of things. But there's so many things, if you look at it from a Bayesian logic perspective, that it's very obvious and steers you, stares you in the eyes. If you would look at all these abeta antibodies that failed, if you look at each of them with a the frequentist approach, yeah, I mean, is there something, is there not something? If you look at all of them and integrate them in the Bayesian logic, it's very obvious that actually Abeta does work. But at best, it gives you an impact of 30% and you need to treat early. It's not something you can deduct from just looking at one of the studies, but if you integrate them already in 2012, actually, you could start coming up to this conclusion. And so th there's so many different things in the kind of whole approach that I, I think just sets us apart. Kun, what aspect of thought leadership in biopharma is especially engaging for you? And it's, I think, a, a relatively general, I think, thought leadership element that's more broadly applicable. I mean, we just, first of all, about biopharma, I mean, if you look at the current times, it is quite impressive how we suddenly gained acceptance on new ideas so fast, right? Where normally it probably should have taken at least another 10 years before mRNA technology would be accepted. It's now accepted within a year, and you're going to see massive benefits of that. But I also do believe, I mean, these times probably would allow us kind of faster acceptance of an idea that's also a very old idea that's been around for 10, 20 years, but got more prominence back in 2019 in the discussion of the business roundtable when 200 top CEOs announced kind of a redefinition of the purpose of a corporation. And where I think Milton Friedman in the 70s have always said kind of the purpose of the corporation is maximize shareholder value. They kind of say like, hey, actually, we need to kind of now go more into stakeholder value. And I think for me, a big misconception on that one is if you focus on stakeholder value, it doesn't mean that you're going to give more value to the stakeholders at the detriment of the shareholders. Actually, what you do is you basically create just more, more value for everyone by focusing on the right thing. And so if you would define the 
company as the key focus is IRR to shareholders, it, it's very difficult to rally people behind that. But if you do it, it it's really about creating things for, for the stakeholders and creating difference for patients, it is a lot easier uh, to rally people around it. And it actually, it gives superior returns to shareholders other than what people often think. And kind of one of the nice examples from a completely different thing that often reminds me of that is somebody you might know, Kim Clasters. I think she's one of the top Belgian tennis players. And she was always very good, but actually she didn't win a lot of finals. And then suddenly, Actually, it was more after she became a mom and she started again that it, it became a lot more easier for her to win finals. And what, what she said is that here yeah, the mistake I made in the past that I focused too much on winning the final. And if you're focusing too much on winning the final, you start making mistakes. And while if I just focus on my next hit and 100% of my focus is on the next hit that I'll do, then I mean things go by itself. And I think it's very similar here. Of course, IRR to shareholders is important, but that should not be the primary purpose. I mean, if you have a slightly different purpose, it will be better for everyone. And so I'll see that also in discussions I have now with, with different um, stakeholders, my experience is kind of the more somebody has accomplished and really realized, the more they automatically always thinks more in focusing on the stakeholder value. Of course, what's happening now in the biopharma industry, it's a lot about technology and a lot about new technologies. Um, and, and that definitely is, is a major, I think, benefit. For me, the biggest benefit is still coming more from this mindset. And this mindset is, I think, yeah, where do you put your mind on and what's really the purpose you have in mind? And so is it the purpose more uh, about, I mean, shareholder value or more about stakeholder value? And I don't think you per se need to, to choose. I think it's more the sequence, right? Which one do you put first? And also, I do believe if you put in the stakeholder first, then actually also a shareholder will follow and will be even better. Kun, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for giving this opportunity and for having this discussion. Near the start of my conversation with Kun, I heard two thoughts that resonated throughout our discussion. New ways to approach challenges and building a company. For Kun, Finding his own way and building Remind began with choosing which mountaintop to stand on. It also meant considering new pathways to climb the mountain, and his understanding that an initial reflex for solving a problem is often wrong and must be reconsidered with a combination of creativity and determination. For Kun, this meant finding new approaches to funding the company, to choosing an appropriate logic framework, and to defining the goal as rallying all stakeholders around making a difference for patients. What I heard during our conversation is the tale of a dramatic journey from the early days at Remind, when the company's research focused on slowing the progression of Alzheimer's, to the present, with Remind now in the clinic. While Kun cautions that the solution for millions of people living with Alzheimer's, diabetes, or other diseases caused by cellular dysfunction won't be one magical pill. It's heartening to hear him say, where we stand now is so much larger than I ever could have imagined. I do believe that Alzheimer's is curable. I'm John Simbley. You're listening to BioBoss.